Hashtag no quiero McDonald's, hashtag quiero Akaraje. I do not want McDonald's, I want Akaraje. An emphatic statement, a pointed tweet, thousands of likes and shares later, a social movement grows. And what is it about? Akara. I'm Alaita Nogunoteb, and you're listening to Behind the Aroma, a podcast where we discover love foods around the world and the bigger stories these foods tell. In 2013, the Federación Internacional de Football Asociación, FIFA, as they're more commonly known, influenced the passing of a so-called World Cup law by the Brazilian Congress, which would establish an exclusivity zone during the World Cup. An exclusivity zone was a space of two kilometers which was around the Fontinova Stadium in Salvador, Brazil, within which local street vendors were prohibited from selling their wares. Now, a certain group of people weren't too happy about this. ABAM, Association of Baianas de Acarajeb, an association in Salvador, Brazil, launched a campaign against this exclusivity zone. They did everything, sending daily letters to FIFA, protesting on the street for months, petitioning the president at the time, garnering the support of a Brazilian football legend, and finally creating an online petition on change.org with thousands of signatures. They did everything. Why? They did all this so that they could sell their beloved Acarajeb. ABAM is a group of Baianas who are current natives of the city of Salvador in the state of Bahia, Brazil. Baianas Zacaraje are Afro-Brazilian women, descended from enslaved Nago people as documented by anthropologist Vivaldo da Costa Lima. Not slaves, as novelist Tanehisi Coates likes to distinguish. They brought with them from West Africa their traditional foods, among which is Acaraje. Acaraje is simply a fried bean cake. Well, I, I call it Kose. And and I came across kose, which is your your black bean fritters, uh, which is very much like akara in northern Nigeria when I was there for two years between 1978 and 1980, and it was one of the street foods that you could find in my area. And you would uh, the little ladies would have it ground, and they would be cooking it outside on a wood stove uh, in peanut oil, and then you would get it very hot and wrapped up in a piece of newspaper or a little piece of uh, packing paper or something like that. And um, I really liked the taste and it was also a very good protein or a good snack that was fairly safe as far as, as uh, well, food poisoning and things like that. You, I never had any problems with Kose. Before Akaraje got to Brazil, it was first Akara among the Yoruba people of Nigeria and known as Kose in the northern part of Nigeria. Growing up, the seducing smells of akara with the sizzling sounds of sweltering oil would awaken me on Sunday mornings. We would typically eat akara with pap, a corn gruel, or with acha, also as a gruel, with milk and sugar, if my auntie was visiting us from the north. Um, acha is the word for phonia in Nigeria. Nigerians call it acha, but phonia is known by various names in different African countries. For instance, in Burkina Faso, they call it phony. Senegal calls it a findi or fundi. In the Gambia, they call it findo. In Mali, they call it fani, feni, funde. Um, in Guinea-Bissau, they call it pende. And um, in Bene, they call it podgi. Togo will call it afio warum. And Ivory Coast will call it a pompoint. I don't know if I call that quite well. Uh, it's also known in English as 
hungry rice, hungry millet, or hungry coals. Besides all the many names of acha, it is also scientifically called Digitaria exilis, and it is an indigenous plant that is native to West Africa. It is a tiny sand-like grain that is well adapted to difficult weather conditions, serving as a staple food for northern communities in Nigeria during the dry season. It offers more calcium, magnesium, iron, and copper than most cereals. Consuming acha and akara together enhances the protein value of the meal, as according to Dovlo, Williams, and Zawaka, cereal proteins are relatively deficient in the amino acid lysine, which is present in a relatively high amount in legumes. Legumes are a poor source of the sulfur-containing amino acids methionine and cysteine, which are adequate in cereals. Therefore, cereals and legumes supplement each other to give a better protein value. In East Africa, akara is also consumed, although it's called by another name, bajia. Through our conversations with the owners of Awash, a Somali restaurant in the GTA, and during focus groups conducted with people from Argeza during our most recently completed research project, we discovered that in Somalia, the preparation of bajia is similar to the preparation of akara. Just like akara, bajia is also prepared from the hulled and soaked cowpeas, which have been blended with spices and then deep fried in oil. It is also a breakfast item, although the fast that is being broken in this case isn't that from a night of sleep, but one that is broken at iftar in the evening during Ramadan. Then you peel the beans, you soak it so that it's soft, mm-hmm. and then you blend it. So when you oh, so it's after you peel it that you soak it again? Right. Uh, you don't soak it before you peel it. Mm-hmm. When you soak it before you peel it, it makes it hard. But if you don't soak it before you peel it, you're, you're going to be done in 10 minutes or 5 minutes. To peel it? So how do you peel, peel it? it yeah. yeah. You don't soak it. If you soak it, it's going to be harder for you to peel it. After. So how just, you... Just, oh, just pour water in the beans and just peel it. It's Oh, it, immediately. It's faster. Just start yeah, it's faster really? That way. Wow. Oh, maybe yeah. I should try that because I've been yeah. wanting to, but I'm just like, I really you want to start do this and you do this and do this and do this. Really? Yeah. And then for those that don't want to peel the beans, we sell frozen peeled beans. So it's it's peeled already, it's frozen. So what that means is you don't have to peel it and you don't even have to wait. The beans is soft, you just pour it in the blender and you're done. Wow. Okay, so you just you peel it and then you soak it. Although bajia is also consumed as a street food as they are sold in the port cities of Mogadishu, Brava, Merka, and Kismayu, it takes a more central place in the Asario Quartet during the afternoon tea gatherings. Just like the high tea of the British, the Asario Quartet is tea served with at least three appetizers or snacks such as bajia. originated in China about 6,000 years ago, and it was brought to Europe by Dutch traders in the early 1600s. Since then, the British have grown a liking to tea, being the world's third biggest tea drinker, according to 2014 data. British preference for tea was taken to all their colonies, as David Grigg mentioned in his research paper, although this preference appears to have been more keenly adopted by some over others. We would like to note that although Nigeria in West Africa and territorial East Africa, namely Kenya, Uganda, and present-day Tanzania, shared a common colonial British history, British colonized East African countries appear to have imbibed a stronger tea culture than in British colonized West Africa, such as Nigeria. 
Perhaps it's because the climate in East Africa is better suited to the cultivation of tea, with Kenya being the third largest producer in the world and the largest in Africa. In talking about production, the issue of ethical farming goes without saying. Plantations have a historical legacy of exploitation and oppression, and some present-day tea plantations don't seem to differ much. In the documentary, The Dark Side of the Tea Trade, journalists expose how on tea plantations in India, workers get about 132 rupees for an eight-hour workday. That is 245 Canadian dollars with no benefits. The plantation owners are legally meant to provide their workers with homes. However, these workers have to live in dilapidated bamboo huts with no sewage systems, no access to clean water, all while being exposed to pesticides as they spray crops without adequate clothing. Nonplussing. For more reading on this topic, refer to a report by the Kenya Human Rights Commission titled A Comparative Study of the Tea Sector in Kenya, a Case Study of Large-Scale Tea Estates. Given the dire situation of this issue, certification bodies such as Fairtrade, UTZ, and Rainforest Alliance aims to act as a signaling device to consumers, indicating that the tea was produced paying fair wages and providing adequate working conditions to the workers. Those plantations described earlier were all third parties certified. Of course, as Adekunle notes, certification is not a panacea because tracing the path of food can be a conundrum as food travels freely. We're fascinated by this seemingly uninhibited movement of food and how and why people carry food and its traditions as they move around the world. Earlier, we spoke with Ms. Tito of My Chop Chop. My Chop Chop is your one-stop online store for African groceries delivered right to your doorstep. My Chop Chop was launched on January 21st, 2017, after Ms. Tito had experienced difficulty in conveniently shopping for African groceries in Canada. Since then, I and many others have benefited from this service, as I've been able to conveniently shop for many of my favorite food items from back home, such as Indomie, plantain chips, chinchin, and many others. In fact, if you're interested in trying out Acha, you can order some from www.mychopshop.ca. We believe that food cuts across people, borders, and continents because it is used as a tool for integration. We propose that food is a tool for integration in three main ways. Firstly, psychological integration. The Proust phenomenon, as described in research by Chelsea et al., explains how scents evoke nostalgia and elicit emotional autobiographical memories. The literature has shown that the link between olfaction and memory could be because of the relation between the olfactory bulb, amygdala, and hippocampus. As can be imagined, a threatened sense of belonging in a foreign land one has migrated to, either forcefully as in the case of the Afro-Brazilian woman, or voluntarily as in the case of my family, makes the smell of akarai fragrant reminder of home and identity. They conclude that higher levels of sense evoked nostalgia predicted higher levels of sense evoked positive affect, self-esteem, self-continuity, optimism, social connectedness, and meaning in life. Especially as other research also shows that experiencing a threatened sense of belonging increased the likelihood of comfort food consumption, but only for those for whom the food presumably had favorable social utility. Social integration. No, it's it's food. Food is a really is a real connector, and it, well, it should be. Maybe that's it. It should be a real connector. Uh, 
Um, I do enjoy cooking and growing and 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 having people over and being able to sit around, you know, to be able to sit around the table and, and enjoy a meal and talk with people. Um, yeah, I, I find that that's, that's very satisfying. Author Alice Julier also agrees. In a book review by The Atlantic, the author states that Alice Julier argues that eating together reduces people's perceptions of inequality and diners tend to view those of different races, genders, and socioeconomic backgrounds as more equal than they would in other social scenarios. In fact, Dumber et al. concludes that those who eat socially more often, feel happier and are more satisfied with life, are more trusting of others, are more engaged with their local communities, and they have more friends they can depend on for support. Finally, as a tool for economic integration, Adekule and Fielsen present that the availability of ethnocultural or culturally appropriate foods helps Somali Canadians integrate economically. This has been the case for the Chinese immigrants to Canada as well when they began to open Chinese restaurants following the end of the gold rush. It has also been the case for Bayana women who primarily rely on the sale of Akaraje for their livelihoods. Because food is such a powerful tool for integration, people carry with them as they travel around the world. As a result, people of all nationalities, classes and backgrounds can be touched by the same food. There is no monopoly on food. In fact, it often declares I am a citizen of the world. So we're here today making akara, which is a fried bean cake snack or meal that is native to Nigeria and in other countries as well. And my mom is over here frying some. So mommy, what tips or advice would you give for people who want to make really good and delicious akara? Well, I would say to use the red beans. Um, we have the white, uh, black, peas here but I prefer the red beans we use back home and uh, with that try as much as possible to make sure that you get all the skin out because that will give you a better looking akara when you open it it's white inside you don't have the black peas on it and um, when mixing it try as much as possible to mix it very well so that when you fry it, you have a better shape with it when frying it. Thank you. Behind the Aroma brought to you by the East Ontario Research Group at the University of Guelph. Our producer is Dr. Badmidele Adekunle and associate producer is Christine Kajumba. The show is hosted by me, Olaitun Ogunate. I am also the digital editor of this episode. Executive producers are Dr. Badmidele Adekunle and Dr. Glenn Fielsen. Researchers and fact-checkers are Christine Kajumba and Olaito Nogunote. Written by Olaito Nogunote and Christine Kajumba. Podcast artwork by Olaito Nogunote. And special thanks to Shock, Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, My Chop Chop, Dr. Musumala Gadenbe, Karen Maitland, Dr. Badebo Dularu, and Temitope Ogunote.